Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there and welcome to The Gong Show. My name is Steph Postuma. I am usually joined by chefs Andy Burns and Simon Evans to discuss all things food and hospitality. However, this week I am solo. You may have heard in previous podcasts that I present a community radio show for Vox FM in Wollongong called Food for Thought. It's on Tuesday nights at 8 o'clock. And this interview is an outtake from one of the ones that I did for my radio show. It's a discussion with Callum Champagne, who is the farm manager at Green Connect Farm in Warrawong, and we talk about what Green Connect does and more so about sustainable food systems. Callum's always a great guy to chat to, and I got a lot out of this conversation, so I really hope you enjoy this one. It's Cal Champagne from Green Connect in Warrawong, as taken from Food for Thought on Vox FM. Let's do this. I have a guest in the studio and we're going to be talking a bit about sustainable food systems and Green Connect. So, Callum Champagne from Green Connect Farm, welcome to Food for Thought for another week. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, yeah. thanks for having me. Thanks for coming in. This is this is your second time in now. It's it? my second time here. Second yeah. time here. So, the yeah. last time I talked to you would have been, I reckon, at least a year and a half ago or something like that. You were one of the first people I talked to when I was doing this station. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. reckon it would have been. It could have even been longer than that. Yeah, it might have yeah. been. Yeah, it might have been. Man, God, that makes me. That that's strange. I feel like I haven't been doing radio that long, but I guess I've been doing it for almost two years now. So yeah, hopefully people are enjoying it. If you're enjoying the show, why don't you give me a call four double two six nine three nine three and um tell me about that. That's nice. Anyway, Cal, uh, for those who aren't sure what Green Connect is, let's just start with what uh, Green Connect Farm is and what you guys do. Yeah, so so uh, I'm Green Connect's farm manager. Uh, the farm is part of a bigger social enterprise. So by that, I mean we're a not-for-profit that uses business models to create social and environmental change. We work to create jobs and employment pathways for former refugees and young people and importantly we do this in sustainable industries so we work in zero waste um your listeners might have seen us working a lot of the local festivals where we divert waste from landfill to organic and recycling streams we work in labor hire in partnership with a lot of local businesses and we work in fair food, which is which is what I what I oversee. So um, we run a ten acre farm in Warrawong. So it's an urban farm, uh, smack bang between Warrawong High School, Warrawong Primary School, and a bunch of residential houses. Uh, and on this farm, we grow chemical free food that we call fair food. Um, when we talk about fair food, we talk about food that's good for the people who grow it good for the people who eat it and good for the environment that, that allows the food to grow. Um, so it's a 10-acre farm that grows mostly vegetables and herbs. So that's predominantly what we're trading in currently. Uh, we also do eggs. Uh, we do meat products at the moment, free-range pork. Uh, and we have a bunch of fruit trees in the ground that are going to be ready to go in the next couple of years for us. Cool. And uh, And... You use permaculture principles, I believe, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So so my background, um, among many things, is permaculture. Um, and permaculture was used to initially design the site. Okay. And can you can you just give – just for my own self-indulgence, 
give me a little overview of how that works. Like how would how, how does permaculture work? And you know, you just mentioned then that you used it to design the site, but how does that work? Yeah, so um, there's two thousand definitions for permaculture. Yeah, right. Okay. I, it's I, one I really of those things. I, I really I don't really have a preferred one, um, and it's a, it's a very hard thing to explain. But really, simply, it's it's a design method that's used to design systems so whether they're environmental systems whether they're people systems communities businesses uh in a way that's both efficient and workable and above all sustainable mm-hmm. so um traditionally it it kind of mimics ecological design and looks at ecosystems in the way that ecosystems have multiple uh, multiple layers, multiple facets, and multiple elements that work together to create a functional system as a whole. Uh, so in terms of how does it work on the farm, um, before we put a pitchfork into the ground, um, five years ago when we were kicking off, uh, we got a map out, looked at what's going on with the local environment, looked at what we actually wanted to produce, what we could produce, and designed the whole site as a whole um, mm-hmm in order for it to be efficient and sustainable in the long run. Yeah, right. So, yeah, that's interesting using that idea of a yeah, of the, of the multi-layered nature of an ecosystem and I suppose with a site like your one, you've got sort of this topography of, of a site and a creek that runs through it, I believe as well and all those sorts of things which yeah, if when you design it as a whole, you can use those things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. it's it's a, it's a pretty wild site and it's it's a blessing in disguise that it's a very strange agricultural site. And Why do you say that? I, in, in the sense, you know, it's got two stormwater creek lines that run through it. Um, it backs onto residential property. It's very, very steep with three completely different aspects and three completely different soil types. Yeah, um, right. It's not what you'd consider traditional agricultural land. So... <laughs> Permaculture has been really useful as a way to make that site functional and, yeah. and make us able to produce food on that site. Cool. And the way that the way that Green Connect and we'll sort of feed this into talking about sort of systems of food sustainability, but the way that you uh, you know supply vegetables to families around the Illawarra is through a CSA model or a community supported agriculture model. Do you want to explain to us what that means? Yeah. So. Uh, the idea of CSA or community-supported agriculture is based on the idea of the community investing in the farm uh, and sharing the risk and the reward with the farmer. Mm -hmm. So currently in the food system, the farmer plants a crop. Uh, If we get a flood, if we get a drought, as we do in this country, uh, they bear the risk and they've invested the money in it. They have to kind of suck it up and and find a way to, to move on to the next season. Um, whereas it doesn't impact the customer because they just go to the supermarket and get the food that's grown by the next farmer who didn't have that drought and didn't have that flood. So uh, CSA is based on the community going, well, actually, we want farmers to grow in a way that's sustainable, so therefore we're going to buy a membership into that farm. Um, where you know Traditionally, it's been seasonal, and... Each week they get a share of what's produced on that farm. So, right. so Steph, you might pay a $40 a week uh, membership fee and get $40 worth of vegetables at the end of the season. Yeah. But it's tradi- Traditionally, these systems have struggled because, um, you know, if there's a bad season, you get nothing. If there's yeah. a good season, you might have 100 kilos of broccoli to yeah. find something to do with yeah. it every week. Um, the system that we have, we kind of – Five years ago, we were having to think about what we wanted to do and we realised that this wasn't going to work in Wollongong. Uh, if we set up this system, you know, we'd had two customers, which would be me and my mum. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and and so we've, we've put together a more customer-friendly model. So we run a, a veggie box system where people can sign up. Uh, they sign up on an ongoing basis but they can pause or cancel at any time uh and there's a few different options of the sizes of boxes you get uh but every week you get a selection of seasonal veg um 
to take home to your family. Mm, fantastic. And since you last came in, like say you did come in, say two years ago, um, and I came down and visited the farm and, and saw what you had going on there, you definitely didn't have any pigs at the time, the first time I came down, I don't think. Maybe you did. Maybe I think you we had, had some pigs. We, had, we yeah. hadn't started selling. Yes, pork. yes, you hadn't yeah. started selling pork. But it's sort of in the la- like over the last two years. Can you give me a little explanation of how things have changed down there? Is there new things that you're doing? Um, obviously, yeah, selling pork's one of them. Uh, you know, have you have you ha- have you seen a rise in your clientele? Like more m- more people getting the veggie boxes, that sort of thing. Um, you know, so yeah, so so we're doing. We're doing free-range pork now as a yeah. completely different product. Um, we're a couple of months away from doing eggs, uh, a couple of months away from doing honey. So, oh, so cool. we have some beehives on the site. Nice. Um, and do you do you get a beekeeper in to look yeah, after Yeah, so, so it's actually a partnership with a local, with Austin yeah, nice. Beekeeper. Awesome. Um, and so basically she puts the hives on site, she maintains it, um, and we process the honey and and sell it through yeah cool and does that does that um having bees on site help help your crop yeah it does um it's going to have significant impacts on the fruit trees. when the fruit that, comes that's, that's where that's where bees and pollinators really earn their money yeah um and that's why you see you know in in all the orchard areas in australia you know beekeepers are in high demand in terms of orchardists actually pay beekeepers to bring their a truckload of their hives out, plonk right. it in a cherry field so that they can pollinate their crops. Yeah, right. Um, for us, the only real benefits on our veggie crops are for the, the kirkabits. So that's the pumpkins, cucumbers and zucchinis. Yeah. So at the moment, you know, we are we are reaping the benefits of it. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah. And so, like, say something like bees. I, I guess... With with what you're doing at Green Connect, it's such a yeah, it's such a multi layered thing, and you and you know there's constantly something that you can tweak and something that you can offer the customer or a way that you can make things more efficient. Is having the bees there like what's the sort of rationale behind making that decision? Is it more the pollination when your fruit trees begin to produce, or is it having another offering for the customer, or is it like it just makes sense to have bees? at Green Connect Farm or what's the sort of it's, rationale? It, it's a little bit of both. A little bit of yeah, everything. Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's an environmental thing in that, yeah, it, it will help pollinate our crops. Um, but perhaps more than any other thing, we've, you know, we've actually worked really hard at something that at the beginning we weren't very good at, which was running a customer-based veggie box system and right. admin system. And we've now employed um, someone who's managing that system as a as a salesperson, as a and as a administrator. So we've invested quite a lot in building this system, um, and so the rationale is that you know we have this kind of captive audience of people who are after fair food, um, and it's in our best interest, and it's what they want for us to offer them the most amount of products so that that's also another thing that's happened since, since i spoke to you last is we've started buying in fruit uh, mm. and offering offering mix boxes yep. so fruit and veg box uh and that that's basically there's a massive demand that people you know people were picking up their veg box anyway they're like oh it'd be great to pick up my veg and fruit at the same time mm. Um, and we kind of, you know, we've got we've got two, over two hundred fruit trees in the ground. Um, what sort? Uh, so, like avocados are kind of the they're the money makers. That's yeah, what yeah, <laughs> that's what we're really hanging out for. Yeah, for sure. Uh, avocados and mac- macadamia nuts. They're, they're the oh, two, really? They're okay, two yeah, big nice. Ones. Um, but we've also got citrus, like all kinds of citrus, uh, guavas, pawpaws, tamarillos, babacos, um, passion fruits, grapes. Um, and that's yeah. I, I mean, you would know just from that list, the average Australian they basically need bananas and apples every single week, yeah, uh, or one of those two every single week. Like, yeah, guavas are great, but they're not <laughs> going to have six months of them. Uh, they're not going to go through an entire winter just having oranges and lemons. 
Uh, and so we kind of took a good hard look at it and go, you know what, we're probably never in this climate going to produce what the average customer wants uh, as a weekly fruit um, as a weekly fruit pickup, knowing what we've learnt about what customers want as a weekly veggie pickup and, and being able to, to grow that or grow as much food as we can. Um, and so, it's, uh, yeah, so we made the decision to um, start sourcing fruit from the organic markets in Sydney yeah. and adding that to our box, yeah. um, which has had a good, you know, it's had a really good impact on the customer's, the customer's satisfaction level. Mm. How do you go about? How do you go about um, getting feedback from your customers about what, like, what they want or what they like in a box or what they didn't like? Because I, I guess with like, and this might have been the case for you guys when you when you very first started delivering boxes, it was like your client base wasn't huge, and you had like a truckload of, of spuds or onions or whatever and you know people just getting bulk of certain things like I'm in other places that i've lived before it's like there's veggie box systems out there that aren't as customer focused as you're talking about now where you just kind of you know like unfortunately people well, fortunately and unfortunately but people do look for variety and do have their favorite things and that sort of thing so how do you kind of yeah how do you get feedback from the customer about what people want most yeah, I mean, this this is what's been really good about bringing Kristen on board, who's, okay. who's the fair food coordinator, uh, in that she's actively calling people and seeking that feedback. Because uh, historically, that that was part of my hugely diverse role. Yeah. And it was something that I was terrible at and, to be honest, not particularly passionate about. Um, you know, I'd prefer to have my hands in the saw rather than my mouth on the phone yeah <laughs> um i yeah i mean it's it's been we've you know we've been doing it for five years um and we have i i think basically i i do i do a weekly communication piece where it's like a weekly letter in the veg box that generally talks about a veg that's in season and gives a little recipe but through that comms we you know we've always been really transparent that we're learning a lot and would really appreciate feedback from our customers. Okay. And our customers generally love what we do and really want to help us out, so mm. they're, they're happy to um, provide that feedback. Sometimes it's really hard to read the feedback and understand exactly what they're saying. Yeah, okay. Because a lot of it is quite... Um, you know they're saying something, but it's in a really indirect way. Okay. They're trying to be polite. It's not necessarily <laughs> the flight. It's it's um, you know, it's I I I'm kind of a pretty simple guy, and I like to narrow things down to, you know, if you have a piece of feedback, generally I can say, okay, either it's um, you know, you're just not getting through your veg box, which is the biggest one. That, yep. That's the reason most people sign off the veg box is that it's too much veg yeah right um and that's the thing that people think they eat more veg than they actually do and so that's why is that is that one of the reasons why you've got different sizes and now i've got a mini box a mini yeah okay. yeah. yeah which we thought we'd never have um but that, that yeah yeah so, so that's the reason we've, we've got that now um yeah so i can you know you could kind of say you know either that's the problem or the problem is that there's just not too much variety they want tomatoes every single week or you know as a quality issue or something like this um but sometimes yeah some of the feedback is is quite vague and it's hard to put it into those categories yeah okay. and you know sometimes indirectly um and this is you know coming from really beautiful places because they're all really supportive people but sometimes when you read between the lines it's it's kind of sounding like they're saying like oh why can't you just be like Woolworths and Coles but do it ethically? <laughs> and, you know, there, there's reasons why the large end of town isn't doing what we're doing. Yeah, exactly. it's very hard to make it financially mm. sustainable. Awesome. Um, quickly about quickly about uh, the pigs. What why did you why did you get pigs? Why do you have why do you have pigs and why are you producing pork? Um, again, it's it's that thing of you know we have a captive audience of customers. Um, let's provide them with uh, multiple product like sustainable products. Right. While, while we have them, because at the end of the day, we're 
you know, we're, we're about being sustainable, but we're about creating jobs for former refugees and for young people. And yep. you create jobs by either providing a service or by selling a product. What we're trying to do on the farm is selling a product. So the more products that we have and the greater diversity of products that we have, the more employment we can create. So the pork is actually set at a price that it's quite profitable. So we can create jobs um, and then invest some money into other parts of the farm like you know the creek line restoration which is never going to be profitable yeah um but the other thing about the pigs and it kind of comes back to uh, the conversation of permaculture that we were talking about before is that you know animals have a really important role in ecosystems like Mm. they, they keep ecosystems in check in a way um their waste products through manure is a valuable resource for trees and other vegetation and so we've used them to integrate them in in our food forest so amongst our fruit trees and and perennial food um as a way to keep the weeds under control because they dig they basically dig the weeds out for us and then we seed it with with green manures and with annual um kind of bonus crops yep and they also they poo everywhere yeah. <laughs> and therefore fertilize fertilize the crops rather than us having to bring in external outputs right. to it. Yeah. Um yeah, it, it's also that you know, if if we're talking about sustainable food um and the environmental impact of food, the meat industry is probably has the biggest proportionately has the biggest impact mm. on on the environment within the food system and so it kind of makes sense to start at meat in Mm. terms of trying to create a sustainable food system like let's start with the worst element of the conventional food system yeah well i I guess that's kind of why i was what i was getting at with my question about the pigs like i think that now in the media and with a lot of uh sort of like food activism or dietary choice activism or whatever it might be uh meat consumption gets a really really bad rap uh in terms of its environmental impact and what i see like being a person that works in food and having been to visit like numerous farms that practice really good sustainable production uh and also use use animals as a means of improving the environment of their farms in the way that you do uh Sometimes meat production in the media gets painted with uh, the broad brush of of factory farming, and do you think do you think that uh, I guess do you think that um, that that whole story isn't told, and that there might be a bit of a misconception when it comes to sort of that there is viable alternatives out there to consume meat consciously and um, more sustainably? Do you think that there's there's a bit of a disparity there between? perception and the possible reality yeah definitely yeah and i think what you're yeah i i I guess what you're kind of referring to is a lot of the stats and a lot of the kind of popular documentaries that are um i guess cited by animal activists um come from america Mm. and america has a very different food system to australia definitely has a very different animal food system Mm. um so yeah, there, there's definitely an oversimplification of of meat as an industry. Like, mm. you know, if we're kind of looking at it, you know, I, we just got these sheep um, at the farm, and I, I've been watching these sheep, and I've been thinking, there's not much, there's not many more sustainable protein sources. Like these guys are literally eating weeds that I'd be spending time and um, petrol on mowing yeah. and converting those weeds into meat, uh, yeah. and, and, and that's and that, that's very different than you know grain-fed cattle. Yeah, in, of course, Oregon. Um, you know, it is. It, I I think that the one thing that we can all agree on, um, is that we eat too much meat. Yes. And I think that there's no environmentalist and there's certainly no dietitian who would say the amount of meat we eat is good or sustainable. Mm. Um, we can also all agree that 
you know, overwhelmingly we can do meat better. We can do it yep. more humanely and we can do it more sustainably. Um, and the big, I think the big thing for me is that we can integrate our meat systems or our animal systems into other agricultural systems in a way that's more beneficial for mm. everything. You know, in that, you know, manure is a huge waste problem in dairies and in piggeries. Whereas, you know, it's actually a really valuable fertiliser for vegetable farms and for uh, horticulturalists. Yeah. Do you think, I mean, actually, we could, what, what I'll do is we'll take a little pause here and we'll play a song and we'll come back and we'll pick up where we left off talking about meat and talking about, uh, yeah, other systems. You just alluded to the fact there that, you know, when you've got mono monoculture, um, you know, waste like manure is a problem, but it can be valuable to some, something else. So, yeah, we'll pick up where we left off in a second with Cal Champagne from Green Connect Farm. Got a couple of ads for you and then some more music for, as curated by Chris Falkland from Love Drunk Hearts here on Food for Thought on Box FM. Bernardo Zillawarra Family Referral Service is an early intervention program. And that was a war on drugs with their song Pain from their album A Deeper Understanding. And before that one was Limit of Love by Boy and Bear, Aussie band, curated by Chris Falkland. Crank Falkland from The Love Drunk Hearts. Check him out on Triple J Unearthed and give him a thumbs up. Get him over the line and, uh, yeah, enjoy their music, which we already have at the beginning of this show. But let's we're here and now. Let's talk to Cal Champagne from Green Connect Farm, who's in the studio with me. Cal, before we went for that little break, we were talking about meat production and maybe um, a misconception about the, you know, like about the positive environmental impact um, you know, meat production can have when you're already running a, a farm, growing vegetables as you are. Uh, is that is that something that you educate your customers about as well? Like in people, I think that perhaps the like the the narrative of Green Connect Farm and 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 the fact that you guys have taken this you know wasteland and turned it into a, or a chemical free farm and um you know it's seasonal produce and things that's that's quite easy for people to understand is the value of the meat production i mean you can just put a label on it and say sustainably or or mindfully or ethically produced meat um is is that something you you educate your people about or do you just put the name on it and people kind of can figure that out for themselves um we let we let people figure it out for themselves. Yeah. Uh, the reason being that, you know, when we first started doing meat, we really naively sent a, a letter around to all our customers, basically promoting, promoting the pork, promoting the pork back. And we received a lot of uh, pretty negative feedback by our customers who, who may have been vegetarian and weren't very keen on the idea of us doing meat, which... It seems really naive in hindsight that we didn't see that coming because, yeah. uh, you know, it's probably pretty conceivable that most of our customers are vegetarians because <laughs> yeah. they're the people who eat his veggies. Yeah. Um, and also the, you know, the environmentally minded people yeah, exactly. in our community. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's the thing. and that, That's why it can sometimes be hard having this conversation because, you know, vegetarians are the best thing for the food system in that they really consciously think about the food that they're eating. Um, you know, and that's, that's what we want to create. We want to create conscious consumption. Mm. Um, but after that, we kind of, and you know, I, I guess it was a bit of a shock to, you know, our branding, would you say? Um, because after three years of being a veg su- supplier, currently we were a, a um, a meat supplier as well. Mm. And, you know, our, our response to that was that, you know, the majority of Australia eats meat. Um, we're all about fair food. Uh, meat is food. And so as long as we're doing it in a way that's best by the animals and best by the environment and best by the people who are growing it, then it's a good thing and we should mm. be providing that product. Um, but, yeah, si- since then, I mean, we've, we do speak to our customers about the role that pigs play in our system. Uh, and, you know, everyone, it's a highlight of anyone's farm tour, meet, meeting the pigs. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, that, that's something that's really evident. Um, 
yeah, but but in terms of marketing, we we've kind of tried to keep them separate. Uh, and weirdly, you know, a lot of people it takes a lot of commitment to be a VegBox customer, uh, and I'm sure we'll get into that later. Uh, whereas buying a pork pack once a season is less of a commitment. So you know, there's a lot of people around the Illawarra who really love what Green Connect does, really want to support us, but don't quite have it together to get a weekly box of veggies and, and be able mm. to eat that, cook that and eat it. Um, but they can, you know, get get a pork pack. Mm. That's a great thing. Yeah. So I guess like the, ma- the main thing that you've just uh, alluded to then is the idea of convenience. Um, you know, you said that there are a lot of people around the Illawarra who don't quite have it together to get a weekly veggie box, which is like, you know, that you can take what you will from that, but like don't quite have it together might just mean that um, they prefer the convenience of going to a supermarket and having multi-seasonal food available like at their fingertips for a very low price. Uh, and, you know, for me, like I unfortunately don't uh have green connect boxes at my place because i live with three other people who all um you know like i mean i can't i i can't assert authority over three other people's decisions when it when it comes to purchasing vegetables so i can't make the decision for us as a group to get a veggie box but you know there's probably something i could do there but convenience is the thing i guess that we're talking about and one of the things that makes uh our food system so challenging and 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 must make it so challenging for you uh how do you how do you kind of try to tackle this issue of 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 convenience and people people now being accustomed to the idea of of having everything at 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 their fingertips is is that just another you know another part of this constant iteration you have to have with your customer base and providing providing the vegetables that they want and that sort of thing yeah a, a little bit i mean i mean that's you kind of hit the nail on the head that the two things that underpin the current food system are uh, cheap food and convenient food mm. and you know and that's that's kind of reflected in people's shopping cooking and eating habits so most people would you know go oh what do i want to cook tonight you know i want this uh i'll go down to a major supermarket retailer and get exactly that and know that i will get exactly that regardless of the season um and it'll be relatively cheap and it'll be really convenient. Um, our product, our, our veg box product kind of turns that on its head and it kind of says, well, actually, this is what grows seasonally in the Illawarra um, and this is what we can grow feasibly. Um, and then it asks the customer to take that and come up with ways to, to cook that for their family for the week. Uh, and that's really, really challenging for a lot of people, and the seasonality thing is is quite challenging. Um, yeah. Do you think that like? Do you think you have to have a certain competence level of food, to, like of, of cooking? I, I, there, there's look. I guess to go back to your original question, um, we're never we we can't compete with the major supermarket chains for convenience and price of course um you know we'll never we're paying award wages and doing things in you know the best practice environmentally so we can't produce cheap food we certainly can't beat the convenience of um you know whipping down to coals and you know i know that like i do that all the time yeah i understand that convenience um what we need to do instead is build excitement and connection amongst our customers right so it's you know that that's what we find the customers that really stick and the customers that really enjoy it are those who are learning about the different foods that we can grow in the Illawarra because we're really lucky with our climate here you know we grow over 44 different types of vegetables throughout the year um so they get that excitement factor and they also get a sense of connection so they get to know the people who are growing the food they get to see the farm where their food comes from. Um, you know, they get to bring their kids down to meet the pigs, feed the chickens, chase the sheep around, whatever. Um, you know, and that's something that 
the, I guess the big the big end of town can't offer. Mm. Yeah. Um, so I mean, yeah the the idea the idea of of, of connection is one of the things that you can provide that they can't. But perhaps for some people, this might not change their you know purchasing behaviors um that might not be enough to get they might not be interested enough in food to get them across the line to participate in in green connect or any veg box system or shop at a farmer's market or whatever it might be um what like what other ways do you think because i guess what am i trying to say the the current system isn't going to be good for the environment ever you know like importing chopped mango frozen chopped mango from um from vietnam in in plastic packaging and and selling it to a customer during mango season you know whether it's huge monocrops gmo the the chemicals that are used uh it's never going to be good for people or the environment and yeah the, like i mean from what I can see, things are just going to continue and something needs to change. So, uh, so you've got a system where you can provide that connection and that's the thing that you can provide that, that big supermarkets can't. But how are there other ways that you can think of that um, behaviour change can occur, like that education can happen and, and a vast quantity of the population can understand and become a part of this type of conscious food consumption? Yeah, like I'm. You'd think I'd have an answer for that, but but I don't. Okay. Um, you know, I've I've kind of I, I studied sustainable food systems at uni. And now I've been working in it for five years. Um, yeah, you'd think I'd have a response to that, but I don't. I, because at the end of the day, you know, um, people are led by the market, uh, and as long as can, as long as food you know the the conventional food system stays cheap and convenient then it's always going to dominate over localized sustainable food systems Mm. um i so i i think the change will come when you know that system relies on huge amounts of fossil fuel energy um and emits huge amounts of greenhouse gases as well as all the other environmental changes. So when, I guess, the policy environment um, and the economic environment, whether that's you know, carbon pricing, blah, 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 catches up to it and forces it to change economically, then we might see a shift in, in consumers' decisions about food. Mm. Interesting, um, yeah. It's a it's a it's a really tough one, and it's kind of quite a uh, bleak, a bleak future that that you that, that you kind of just suggested there, where it's just like the environmental degradation gets to a point where you know the price of carbon is so much that it means that it's cheaper to buy green connect than it is to go to coals or or whatever it might be something something along those lines it's a, it's it's a little bit bleak so i don't know hopefully the, hopefully there's something out there and hopefully uh we can find an answer to that but i guess uh as with anything um you know education's probably one of the one of the big ones is is just to begin to try to educate as many people as you can possibly do like i mean the reason I used that example of the chopped up frozen mango um, the other day is because we've got some of that in my freezer at home. I didn't buy it, but uh, I, I I didn't do, I didn't go shopping that week. Like we shop as a house, but I didn't go shopping that week. And usually when we do, um, I make sure we shop at like a local spot rather than a major supermarket. Um, and yeah, like when I saw, I was like, oh, who bought this and my housemate who is a you know like well-educated good like you know high functioning member of of society was like what do you mean and i said have a look at this it's the middle of mango season and it's made in vietnam and it's chopped up and frozen and sent to australia and he was like oh gee that's like and and you know it's it's that sort of education and so now he's not going to buy that anymore you know what i mean like but Mm. it's just that small point of um communication and education that that forces small incremental change i guess so maybe 
you know, if I guess we perhaps are on a path towards more people being consciously consuming food, and in particular, maybe um, young families and things like that. They might be some of your uh, major customers and stuff at Green Connect, but perhaps that sort of community, um, that education um, will sort of get passed down to the next generation and things. People can, yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah, and and that you know that that was a bit pessimistic. Pessimistic. I'm, I'm no, actually, but I like. I'm, I'm actually, I, I, I I think you like. I think you're probably right there. Unfortunately, I, I, think, I think to be really optimistic about it, though, you know, we've we've kind of got a really recent example where, through education and through lobbying, we've we've almost built a culture, um, which has disregarded plastic bags mm. and, and moved towards canvas shopping bags, um, and that has come about purely through education and lobbying to create regulation we haven't quite got there because, mm. <laughs> because you know the supermarket went forward then back then forwards and backs and i don't even really know where they are oh. anymore it's just like i don't understand what they're doing now they just make the plastic just that tiny bit thicker and say it's yeah. reusable <laughs> yeah, or something yeah. and then it goes back to the old way and yeah whatever but yeah so i mean that i mean that's kind of a good example of how cultural change can happen because that is you know that that like even that tiny thing of having to think about getting your bags before you go shopping, that is inconvenient. Yeah. Um, yet, as, as a community, we've mostly or almost managed to overcome that. Yeah, um, that is – And yeah. so, yeah, look, looking at the way that we've managed to do that is kind of, you know, there's some good lessons in that for how we can change our food system. Mm. I. One thing, this is my pet peeve about, look, I've got a lot of pet peeves about um, plastic shopping bags. One of my pet peeves about them is that if you go to a major supermarket and buy one of their reusable shopping bags, it's got a piece of plastic in the bottom of it to like keep the structural integrity of that bag. Yeah, right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, no, no. I've, oh, do you mean like the canvas bags? Yeah, like when you buy a green bag from Coles yeah, or whatever yeah. it might be, and yeah. then in the bottom of that bag there's like a, a, a square of plastic that keeps yeah. the bottom a square. Yeah, yeah. But that that always like we disappears. keep it. That always <laughs> yeah. just disappears somewhere. Yeah, and so it's like in the process of of making a reusable bag, they're also producing a, like a piece of plastic that I don't really see the point of. Yeah. Um, other than, yeah, it just means that the bottom of it's flat. Yeah, but yeah. you don't really need it. Uh, anyway. You can take that out, Coles. Um, you don't need that plastic. Anyway, uh, moving on from there. Look, I w- let's just. I want to talk because, as you said, you did study sustainable food systems and things like that. Um, can we? Can you just point out a couple of things that you think are some of the biggest challenges? You know, to uh, you know the environment or society when it comes to um, you know large scale agriculture or or some of the some of the bad parts of the current food system like what do you see as some of the major problems yeah i mean i guess there's there's kind of two overall like you know you could go into anything but soil degradation is one and i guess you could kind of say the degradation of farming communities so Mm -hmm. the, the, the people side of the food system that we've built so in terms of soil degradation um you know, the soil is the most diverse and the most vast ecosystem in the world. So it's it's home to the most biodiversity in the world, the most amount of carbon stores in the world. Um, a lot of people don't know, don't think about that. Right? Um, not, I have not thought dirt, about this. Dirt is dirt. Yes, but, um, it's actually a thriving ecosystem, mm. um, and we're only really beginning to understand that like soil science is is you know really rapidly evolving um and so you know by there's a whole bunch of chemicals that we wouldn't put in a human body Mm. um we wouldn't dump in a visible ecosystem yet we dump in our soils Mm. (laughs) um and you could only kind of imagine you know if you took petrochemicals um you know in the form of um synthetic fertilizers pesticides herbicides or fungicides and you dump that into you know the pristine rainforest you can imagine it's not going to have very good impacts right Mm. um so when a more fragile ecosystem the soil is exposed to that it's going to have a really really bad impact um 
and so that that's that I, I guess that's kind of number one and that's kind of that really highlights the way that we've treated farming as if it's any other business and we've tried to apply classical economics um, to that industry disregarding the fact that that industry relies and like interacts really intensively with living ecosystems mm. <laughs> and so you know where by demanding more and more farmers by demanding things are cheaper and cheaper that pushes farmers to grow food in more and more unsustainable ways which then has more and more pressure placed on the ecosystems that they're farming um, and the I guess the irony of it all is that at the end of the day it reduces the future capacity of that land mm. <laughs> so not only is it you know having all these environmental impacts but it's it's the opposite to investment logic mm. um, and I guess that's coming full circle back to what we're doing and what permaculture is about is it's about investment so you know uh, growing food the way we do might not be the easiest thing to do today but it's an investment in the future mm. so it, it we're actually building our soils um building the capacity of our land o- over the time rather than reducing that capacity mm. amazing and like most of most of the farms that i've visited most of the organic farms or, um, or sort of ethically minded farms chemical free farms or biodynamic farms that i've seen in the past are generally these sort of boutique operations that run either a veggie box system or or, or trade at a farmer's market or supply um, local restaurants. Are these practices and principles scalable to large-scale agriculture? Like, you know, would people be able to apply this or, or does sort of monocropping go hand-in-hand with large-scale ag- agriculture and that's potentially why it's not scalable to that level? Um, I, I think... I think that's a really that's a really tough one. Right. Like it's not I don't think if you ask me what the future of food is, I don't think the future of food is thousands of green connects. Yeah. Like I think there's really good things in the way that we've built the agricultural system. Like a lot of the technology that we have um you know a, a lot of the research that's been done is is really good. It's been done for really good reasons. Um and it's definitely worth keeping. You know, I, I really can't think of a way that we could produce large grain crops, which we kind of need with our diets, yeah. uh, in any other way than to, you know, the I guess the the way we currently the monocultures yeah exactly that we can't yeah. currently grow them in. Um, but there's there's different ways that we can do that, and I think it more kind of comes down to. You know, yeah, as I said, I don't think the answer is heaps of tiny operations like Green Connect, which is in, in the scheme of things tiny. But I think some of the principles that we've used can be applied more broadly. And I think that the biggest thing is a change in perception of the role of a farmer. Yep. So 50% of the world is used for agriculture. So it's it's the biggest land use practice on earth Mm. so therefore whether people like it or not farmers are the biggest custodians of our ecosystem in the world Mm. so the way that we farm has the biggest impact of the you know the environment that we have for the future Mm. Uh, but farmers aren't paid to be ecosystem custodians they're paid to be producers of vegetables or producers of lamb or producers of whatever Mm. Um, so I, I think, you know, the, I guess the future that I'd like to see is one where consumers and governments acknowledge the role that farmers should and and most commonly want to play mm. as ecosystem custodians. Yeah, right. Okay, well, there's plenty to talk about when it comes to the role of farmers and we'll get into a little bit about dollar milk and what's going on in in that world as well. Uh, We're going to play a couple more ads and stuff here and some more music from uh, the playlist by Chris Falkland from Love Drunk Hearts. So we'll be back just after this with Cal Champagne from Green Connect on Food for Thought on Vox FM. (laughs) 
G'day, I'm Tim Fisher. Life on the land can be rewarding. Vox FM. Yes, and you're listening to Food for Thought on your Tuesday night here on Vox FM. The time is almost 9.30. If you want to give us a call, it's 42269393. And please check us out on Facebook. It's Food for Thought, Wollongong Community Radio on your socials, where you can keep up to date with what guests we have coming up. We've got some good ones coming up over the course of February and into March, uh, and plenty of other stuff happening as well. But we've got Callum Champagne from Green Connect Farm here in the studio, and we're talking talking about sustainable uh, sustainable farming and sustainable agriculture and food systems. Uh, Cal, we were talking before about the role of the farmer and you mentioned that as one of one of the major issues in our uh, in in the current sort of food system is and and farmers not being seen as custodians of the land. What other issues are, are sort of like there's a lot in the media, but what are some of the other big issues that you think are sort of facing farmers at the moment? Um, I think the big one is like the personal cost on farmers and on, on farming communities. Yeah. Um, just in terms of there's so much uh, variability with farming, like it's it's exposed to natural conditions more, you know, unlike any other industry is. Um, yet there's the farmers still bear all the risk um, and you know I, I think that the decline in the number of people who are going into farming the increase in the age of the average farmer like mm. I, I don't know if you've looked at it but it's if you google average age of Australian farming it's scarily high it's like 65 like, yeah, it's or like something. close to should be retiring high yeah um and and then the big thing is just the the suicide rates in in farming communities, that tells a pretty bad story about the pressures that the farmers are facing. Mm. And it's yeah, like I mean, I guess for a lot for a lot of farmers, it's not a, like even if you have a decent year, it's not necessarily the most profitable you know industry to be in as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah it, it's 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 not really set, and it kind of goes back to what we were saying before about how just. Uh, you know, really broad economic principles are being applied to an industry that's built on, uh, oh, that's reliant on natural ecosystems. Yeah. Mm. Uh, what are what are some of the other? Like, I mean, I guess I want to talk, and we mentioned, like we mentioned before, I, we started this was to talk a bit about uh, the issue with our dairy industry. At the moment, do you want to give us a bit of an overview of, like, essentially it's in a bit of a crisis at the moment. You see dairy farmers that are basically not making any money whatsoever and 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 have almost no recourse. Um, do you want to tell us a bit about, you know, what you know about this? Yeah, I'm, I mean, it's it's really that, it's that classic race to the bottom thing. And it's, it's kind of, I mean, I know a bit about this because I, you know, I grew up in, in Bega, which is a, you know, bigger cheese, dairy mm. farming, and uh, dairy farming region. Um, you know, I, I think more than any, or more than most other agricultural industries, dairy has really been tied into the retail chain in a way that Coles and Woolworths really control what happens in dairy and the prices that the dairy farmers are given, and this is. You know, you you could say you can avoid that by just not getting uh, no-named milk, but the reality is that the cheap prices that they're offering is driving the rest of the market down, yeah. and that kind of that kind of race to the bottom is, you know, it, it's coming at a time where, um, you know, other costs in the industry are going up, which means that more and more farmers are working for nothing or, or yeah. working for free. Yeah. And, and, you know, that pressure is, of course, farmers working for nothing. It's also, you know, how can we, you know, we want, we all want a sustainable food system, but how can we expect farmers to invest in the sustainability of their farm when they can't even pay themselves for what they do? Mm. It's a sad state of affairs. Mm. Mm. Um, hmm. 
And so what, I mean, a dollar meal, I guess like you see like when you drive around, especially in sort of like agricultural areas, people have that no dollar milk sign out the front of their house. Some people do and and it seems to be uh, this sort of like catch cry of um, let's support our dairy farmers by not purchasing dollar milk, but it is slightly more complicated than that. Do Do you have any... You know, is there anything that people can do if they actually want to support our dairy farmers? Um, how w- what they can what they can do in order to in, in order to help this, or is is this a bigger problem than than at a consumer level, like change being being a thing? Yeah, I mean, I I think it's it's at it's at a much bigger level, and it's a lot more convoluted because the thing is that it's a system that's been created over years yeah. and over decades. So, you know, consumer demand created this i'm Mm. not sure if it can fix it um yeah i I mean the obvious thing would be to support farmers that you know that the bulk of your money is going to that farm rather than to the large supermarket chains yeah that that, that's the bulk of it but i mean there's a lot of things about boycotting milk and boycotting dairy um Mm. and that's you know i understand the sentiment behind that but in a way that's kind of the worst thing that we can exactly <laughs> we can yeah do because it means that you know no one's no one's buying the milk and and all this milk's going to waste yeah yeah it's uh yeah i mean it's a terrible position we find ourselves in do you think that it's just like a part of it is just a collective public you know change of change of perspective in that Milk does not cost this much. Milk ne- needs to cost more in order for us to have a sustainable dairy industry in Australia, and that's something that people have to put up with, and that's something that the that maybe the major supermarkets and big retailers have a responsibility to to, to change that perception as well, and just up the prices by as much as it needs to to be up to in order to you know create a sustainable sustainable industry in Australia. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it, it's all about it's all about customer perceptions and about what people think they should be paying for things yeah. so it's not you know it's not necessarily about affordability because people pay huge amounts of stuff for really weird things yeah I mean, exactly um you know meat in australia there's some meats that are, that are quite expensive like if you look at the money you're spending on um lamb chops versus the money you could be spending on you know, whatever else, like broccoli, then it's disproportionately high. Yeah. People understand that. And, you know, it's for good reason that we should be paying high prices for meat. Yeah. Um, but people understand that. And so, yeah, it, it's it's really about changing consumers' perception about how much it actually costs to produce food and more how much it, it costs to produce food sustainably and ethically. Hmm. Um, we'll, we'll just about wrap up with you in a sec, Cal. Uh, what do you, let's let's kind of try to look to the future a little bit. I guess first, first, like I'll ask two final questions. What do you what do you like? How do you see us going into the future, and and in what ways can people sort of help make a more positive future of a sustainable food system? Like, well, what sort of choices? can they make or where do you where do you see a, a more positive rather sorry rather than consumers i'll ask you about consumers second but where do you see where do you see things happening in order to potentially make a more sustainable food system in australia um i think i i think there really needs to be more incentives for uh farmers to innovate around sustainable food systems yeah i, I don't think I don't think there's a lot of that. Like, I, I don't think, you know, I, I guess I, coming from a permaculture perspective, I guess like an environmental perspective, I hear a lot of, like, you know, why don't farmers just do this? You know, why don't you just plant trees around your waterways? Because that's proven to be, you know, to hold water in your soils. Why don't you just, um, you know, do this, do that? Um, you know, and... and the responses, like because farmers are struggling as it is, so that they don't have time uh, or yeah. capital to do what they're currently doing. 
let alone invest in the future. Yeah. And I kind of think it comes, you know, whether it's a it's a policy thing or a regulation thing or, uh, you know, industry incentives, I, I think going back to that idea that the farmer is the custodian of the ecosystem uh, and should be investing in the long-term productivity of, of that ecosystem um you know that that needs to start somewhere yeah for sure okay cool that's a, yeah that's a great point do you see is there is there anything out there like is there any sort of innovation schemes or incentives like i mean you see incubator funds for startups who are trying to you know i mean they're trying to rebrand wollongong as the city of innovation mm. um is there government initiatives out there in order to to you know develop more innovative practices in investing in ecosystems like you say uh, I, I think i think there is um i think these conversations always go to straight to tech Yep. And that's where, you know, there's some incredible stuff happening around, uh, like, remote fencing. I don't know if you've okay. heard about that, where yeah, animal, right. animals have, like, microchips and you don't need to install fencing. You just need to set GPS parameters for where they can and can't go. Um, you know, stuff like that, you know, drones, all that kind of stuff. This is kind of what people talk about as the big innovations in agriculture. All that stuff's really cool, and I'm sure that for individual farmers, it's good. It saves energy, um, but I think big, big movements forwards will happen. I guess when we kind of change our approach to farming and change the timeframes that we're thinking in, so not, you know, we need innovations that allow us to not just think about, you know, how we're going to pay back our loan next year to more think about, hey, how are we going to design this system, which is a farm, uh, in a way that it's going to be better off in 20 years rather than hopelessly degraded in 20 years. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, we'll move on to the consumer and we'll finish on hopefully an easy question. Um, if there's people out there that are listening that haven't really thought too much about uh, you know, conscious conscious food consumption. What are some some basic things that people can do? Um, changes that they can make in order to, uh, you know, support support a more uh, sustainable sustainable food system. I, like I, I think it's understanding a bit about where your food comes from. Yeah. Uh, like I, I, th- I think it's less. You know, I could tell you buy from Green Connector, I could tell you get yeah. to go to the farmer's market, all yeah. this kind of stuff. Um, that's really prescriptive and I think people are smart enough to not need to be told that. Yep. I think really it's more like, I think it kind of comes down to appreciating your food and understanding where it comes from and yeah. regardless of what you're, um, regardless of what you're eating or where you've bought it from, appreciating what it took to produce that food and yep. to get it to your table um you know I, th- I think i think food literacy and the appreciation for food is what what will drive change in the food system i think australia has a really weird culture of food um we don't appreciate food taste wise <laughs> and we certainly don't appreciate food in terms of um how that food's produced and I think the more, you know, it's not it, it, it's not about everyone going to their farmer's market tomorrow and, and buying stuff. It's more about whatever you're eating, have a think about, yeah. about how it was produced and talk to your friends and family about how it was produced. Mm. Yeah, and I guess um, another, another thing that sort of goes hand in hand with that and something that I found as I became more aware of, you know, connecting to, to the food that you're eating is that food, it's a better experience when you know where your food comes from and when you've got a connection to where it is. It's not just the, you know, just knowing that, you know, it's a, it's a more sort of environmentally conscious decision that you're making. It's like, 
you having that connection to food just makes the meal so much better at the end of the day it's just awesome to be able to either tell the people that you're feeding that you got this from x y or z and the name of the farmer is this because um yeah it's just a, it's just a more vibrant experience in general so that's like another just the simple reason why people should just be doing that yeah yeah it's, yeah. That, it's that excitement factor yeah. yeah yeah cool all right let's leave it there um yeah, we'll go to some music in a second, but Cal, thank you so much for the second time coming on Food for Thought. Yeah, thanks, Ace, man. Thanks for joining yeah, me. Yeah. All right, we'll go to a break now here, and uh, we'll be back with a culture guide for you. But uh, yeah, we'll just go. We'll just go to a couple of couple of tunes in a sec, just after this here on Food for Thought. The time is quarter to ten on your Tuesday night. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 